0: well hello and welcome to madison church online with exchange my name is steven i'm the lead pastor of madison church and i'm so thankful You're spending part of your Sunday, if you're watching or listening on Sunday, with us. And if you're listening some other time, we're really happy that you're doing that as well. Well, I'm really excited to tell you right at the beginning of my message that next Sunday, assuming you're watching this on Sunday, September 6th, next Sunday, which is September 13th, we will be reopening one of our in-person Church sites. We're actually going to open up the building that I am recording in by myself right now next week at 5 p.m. And we would love to invite you to come out and enjoy and, and join us as we enjoy connecting people with God and each other in person. Again, these will be our first in person services since March 15th. It will be the first time I've spoken to a live audience and not this camera since February, because I took the series off in March, not knowing that all of this was going to happen. So I'm really excited. and But I should say that I'm cautiously excited. We will have masks and hand sanitizer. We will also be cleaning and have different social distancing things in place. And we ask that you use common sense when you follow local and national and even global health guidelines. It's just one way that we can make this environment safe for everybody who comes in. Now, there's a chance that you're not comfortable, and it's probably more nuanced than just that. I recognize that. And we will continue to have online services with the same content at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays, okay? Just like we did before COVID, we had an online church. We want to continue to have an online church. We believe that the digital community isn't just a side piece or extra, but it really is absolutely important to what we do. Now you'll probably notice I said we're opening up this site next Sunday at 5 o'clock and we'll continue to have online services at 1030. What does that mean about the 5 o'clock online service? It means that it will be no more. We will not have a 5 p.m. Sunday service as our friends from Exchange and Green Bay also reopen up their in-person services. And so if you want to join us online, make sure that you adjust your schedule so that you'll be on at 1030 a.m. on Sundays. And if you are around uh, Madison, please consider joining us on Sundays at 5 p.m. Well, as I said, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor of Madison Church, and uh, even though we're not together this week, I'm excited about next week, even though we're not together, though, I bet I can take a guess about you, about you all, whether you're watching or listening, and be 99% correct, okay? Now, I know that there are a lot of you who would love to prove me wrong, and that's okay. Okay. I dare you. If I get this wrong, go ahead in the chat room and let everyone know that I'm wrong about you. My guess, though, is that most of us, myself included, are not, we are not avid fans of high school basketball. I bet you don't know what your own basketball teams here in Madison are doing at the high school level, let alone what they're doing in a place like Oklahoma or California or New Jersey. How'd I do Most of you don't care, right? Well, I want to tell you a story that I think you will find interesting. It is a high school basketball story. It takes place at a state championship. This really happened. And what happened is that there are these two high schools playing against each other. One is Hugo High School, and they're playing Millwood High School. Now, Hugo has a one-point lead with four seconds to go in the game. They're winning 37 to 36. And the great thing for them is that they get the ball. So you don't have to be into sports to get the significance of this. What's going to happen is a player out of bounds with the ball is going to throw the ball inbounds. Someone's going to catch it and they're going to waste four seconds and the game is going to be over and Hugo is going to win the state championship. So Hugo begins to do just that. They inbound the ball. They throw it to their star player. Of course, you want the star player to have the ball in this kind of clutch moment. And the star player catches the ball, and seeing that no one is around him, he takes a shot. I mean, he's right under the basket, so he takes a shot. Why not seal the win, put the dagger in it, and and really ice this thing? So he shoots the ball. He, of course, makes it. He's the star player. And as The buzzer buzzes, the game is over. He looks back only to see his teammates and coaches looking at him, absolutely, positively horrified. You see, Hugo was winning 37 to 36, but when he scored the basket, he scored it for the other team. So the other team ended up winning 38 to 37 because of this player. Now, this is actually pretty heartbreaking you don't even have to like sports ever played sports for you to see the sadness in this you can imagine yourself in this player situation you can imagine maybe if you have kids your kid in that situation if you have siblings what it'd be like for them to be in that situation it is pretty heartbreaking and sad. We wouldn't wish that upon anybody. But it's not just that kids in high school make mistakes. Nope. The pros make these kind of mistakes all the time. People who are paid millions of dollars to play a game make these types of mistakes all the time. I encourage you to look up those um, flukes on YouTube sometime. You'll get a good laugh out of it. Now, I bring these things up because I think that in a lot of ways, we are like this kid from Oklahoma scoring the basket for the other team so that they win. Now, remember, I I know that you probably don't care about basketball or high school basketball anyway. So why am I bringing this up? Well, I, I think that most people, I'm really quite sure that most people are working very hard to have a satisfying and full, significant life but all too often it feels like the work we're doing isn't scoring us any points. It feels like we're losing at life or that we're heading in the wrong direction. We're all trying to win at life at the things that we do, we want to do well. But when we stop and look at the scoreboard, when we take a moment we look back at the fans, our coaches and our players, they're horrified and we're heartbroken. I'm sure that every one of you watching or listening understand what this feels like. When you Put your heart and soul into something, and you try really hard, and you think that once this happens, something's going to happen, something really great, you're going to be satisfied, or life is going to be full, and then it happens, and it still feels like you're losing so we're in the last week of our series that we've called Hero Maker. It's a concept that I'm sure not many of you are familiar with, but it is quite obvious what we're talking about. We're talking about not just being the heroes in our own story, but rather being the hero makers, being her- makers of heroes in other people's stories and in their lives. And throughout this month, we've been talking about Jesus, who is the greatest hero maker of all time, because he invested in 12 guys who ended up changing the course of history and the world. And he Teaches us how we can win at life even now in 2020. Now, everything that we have uh, talked about has led up to this point, which is how do we do this successfully? How do we do this well? Or, in the language I want to use in today's message, how do we win at being a hero maker? I think that this is important because a lot of people while I think that they're striving to do well at life I think that a lot of us never figure out how to truly win at life. We need to learn how to keep score better because right now the ways that we do keep score are kind of lame. I know that a lot of people keep score and they consider themselves winners if they get a certain kind of job or get a certain amount of money, then I'm winning at life. I know that there are people who think that if I can live in a certain house or in a certain neighborhood, then I am winning. And I know a lot of people who think if I meet Mr. Right or Mrs. Right and we have a bunch of little rights, then I will be happy and feel like I'm winning. On and on it goes. We come up with all sorts of hows and whats to winning and how to keep score and what game are we playing. And and we do that. Now, I want to be clear. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. I love my job. I love that I get paid to do this job. I love my wife, Megan, and my kids. My family is awesome. And we are looking forward to the day where we buy a house in a neighborhood in Madison and move out of the apartment um, soon. So like I said, those things aren't bad, but they're not going to make me feel like I'm winning at life. Those things won't make you feel like you're winning at life. And the reason is quite simple or almost common sense, which is that there's always going to be another promotion. You're always going to have a boss over you. You're never going to get past that, having a boss over you. And I've never, ever, 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 ever met somebody who was approached by their superior and said, you know what, we're giving you a raise. We have just been so blown away by the work you're doing. You're going to get paid more. And that person say, you know what? I think I'm actually getting paid my worth, my value. So don't give me a raise. I'm fine. I've never known anyone to turn down a raise. Okay. Appliances break, homes need repairs, and even cool cars get in car accidents. And some of you who have been divorced or know someone who's been divorced or have parents who have been divorced, we know that sometimes people make irreversible decisions over a long period of time that have unintended hurtful consequences. Now, I'm not trying to be a downer here. I mean, not at all. Actually, the reason I'm bringing all of these things up is because I want to help you and, and myself and anyone watching or listening turn things around when those bad things happen, when the things that we thought we wanted to win at turn out to be things that we're losing at and we, we don't want to play anymore. How in the world do we turn it around? How in the world do we not be overcome by the things that happen in life? okay? Well, let's talk and continue to talk about Jesus who keeps score completely different than you and I do. Now, we're going to read from Mark 10 in just a moment, but I want to kind of preface it with this. I take personally great comfort and joy when I read about the disciples, Jesus' apprentices, doing really, really dumb things. I do. I love it. I feel a little bad for Jesus. I mean, but he chose them. So he kind of knew what he was getting into, but I love it when they make a mistake. You see, because I'm no stranger to saying dumb things, doing dumb things and thinking dumb things. I'm just thankful that the things that I do that are dumb or think that are dumb or say that are dumb weren't written in a book that is now the most sold book in human history. The book that we're talking about right now. Luckily, my mistakes aren't that public, okay? So we find this kind of stupidity. That's where I'm going with this, is that we find this kind of stupidity in Mark 10 when James and John, two of Jesus's um, followers, come up to him to have a private conversation. And it becomes kind of clear that they do have a little bit of a scheme in mind. Let's read. James and, John's, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us Whatever we ask. Seriously? this is a manipulation tactic that my two and four-year-old take on me all the time when they're trying to have Chick-fil-A again for like the 10th time this week. Oliver will come up to me and I'll think that maybe he wants a glass of water, he needs some help with something, or sometimes he just has questions. He's at that age four where he's really interested in things but doesn't know, so he comes and asks questions. But there are other times when Oliver comes up to me and he says, we're going to get Chick-fil-A tonight, yeah, right? We're going to get Chick-fil-A tonight, yeah? See, he's not really asking me. He's telling me. We're gonna get Chick-fil-A, right? And that is what the disciples are doing to Jesus. They're using the same tactic. And let me tell you, it doesn't work for Oliver, and I'm not the sinless son of God. It's not gonna work out for these two disciples when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is no fool. Now this is wild, right? Okay, let's just consider the logic for a moment. James and John come up to Jesus, and they think that if we can get Jesus to agree to give us whatever we want, he's the sinless son of God. He can't lie, so therefore he can't go back on it. And they're like, this is a really good idea. Interestingly, though, they don't consider that the sinless son of God can't be tricked. They haven't ruled that out. So he can't lie. He has to keep his promises. He can give us authority in heaven once we get there, and he's trickable. It just makes no sense, okay? Jesus responds to them. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Well, like I said, it's obvious what they want. They want the most ideal spots in human history. They want the highest places of honor for all of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Real humble, right? That's what you would expect out of followers of Jesus. Well, The next verse tells us that the other 10 followers of Jesus overhear what's going on, and you can imagine they're quite indignant. They are pissed off. How can James and John be trying to manipulate Jesus and giving them the highest seats? No, I deserve it. No, I deserve it. And everyone thinks, of course, that they deserve it. And it's at this point where it becomes quite obvious to Jesus that his apprentices are missing the point. They've completely misunderstood what Jesus is trying to accomplish in them and through them. Now, a moment ago, I said that I take great comfort when the disciples screw up. Well, I also take great comfort when Jesus, the greatest leader in human history, has his followers doing dumb things. It gives me hope. It's like, you know, as a leader, it's not always my fault. Sometimes you do the best you can, and and people do weird things like thinking you can be tricked into giving them a certain seat in heaven. Well, Jesus is going to set things straight. He he calls them together and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Now, the prevailing thought, back and even today is that if you want to be great, um, then you need to rule, not serve. I mean, so much of what we do in life is about being better than other people. That's how we know we're winning. When you win the race, it's when you're the fastest person on the track. When you're the CEO of a company, you have the most employees, under you. When you have the high corner office, you have other people who are stationed below you and in the hallways around you. Our society both now and then saw being great in this way. It was all about position, power, authority, and influence. And Jesus confronts that. He says, not so with you. I want you to type that out in the chat room or just say it out loud wherever you're at. Not so with you. Those are some of the most profound words written in the entire Bible. Not so with you. It's a reminder to all of us that when we see the world doing one thing or we see other people doing another, that we say not so with us. We live in an upside down type of kingdom in which the last will be first and that the weakest will be the strongest and that the least will be the greatest. Not so with us. We are not out for a power grab. Serving is the way to win in this life. That is what Jesus is trying to tell us. And the disciples had it all wrong. And I think that we often also get it wrong. And this is really, really challenging because we have to, again, have another mental shift. We talked about mental shifts in week one, but we have to have another mental shift in which we say, winning like a hero maker requires a shift from counting my own successes To counting the successes of others. It's a shift from a me-first perspective, where all that matters is me and my family, to an others-first perspective. We have to begin to count the successes of other people. That is why at Madison Church, we give 10% of our finances, anything that comes in, away all around the world, locally, regionally, and globally. Even though our church sign doesn't get put up on Anything or anywhere. Even though they'll never say our names or use my name or anything, we continue to donate at least 10% to mission agencies going all over the world to help connect people with God and each other. And we do that and we're happy to do that and we want to do that because the kingdom of God is about celebrating and helping other people be successful. So we're helping some people who are starting churches in Ukraine. We're helping people who are doing ministry in Iraq. I'm not making this stuff up. We We really do, and they've been to our church. We have organizations that help people get out of sex labor. We have organizations that help people with disabilities and communities engage them. We have a new partner, Nehemiah, here in Madison, which helps people who have been formerly incarcerated, which in Wisconsin is primarily black people, helps people who have been incarcerated, like I said, primarily black people, re-enter into society in a healthy and new way way. These are the partners that we have and we're happy to partner with them because it's not just about Madison Church being the biggest or fastest growing church, but rather it's about kingdom successes all around us. How would you, so my question is, if, if this is what we're doing, we're having this seismic shift of other people first, how would you see your time if you were less preoccupied with your own agenda? How might you use your schedule, your calendar? How might you use your resources? Yeah, I'm talking about your money. How would you use your money if you were focused on other people's needs? How would your life be different at work if you were just as focused on helping your coworkers or your subordinates or even your bosses more successful? How would your relationships be different if you look for opportunities to serve them rather than be served by them? How would your faith be different? This is a big one. How would your faith be different Different if you saw our church, Madison Church, as a community where we can give back and contribute to the mission of God rather than a place to sit and just intake content. No matter the circumstances or situations that you find yourself in, when we flip the scorecard and begin to recognize that life is so much bigger than me and what I need to do or accomplish, but it's about other people as well, we will begin to not just win, but it will change everything and we will begin to feel like we're winning at everything. And yet, however, I want to recognize and even say it out loud for those of you who might be thinking it, and especially though for those of you who aren't thinking it, that what I'm talking about is extremely challenging. It's one thing to say this on a camera to an empty room and then to watch it on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or listen to it in the car and to say, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I need to be selfless. I need to be like Christ. I need to be a hero maker. But it is incredibly challenging to actually follow through with it. I want you just to begin to think, what would your time look like, your, your schedule calendars, your checkbooks, your money, your relationships, where you go to work? How would that look different if you had a more selfless point of view this week, this month? What if you took the things that we've been talking about in Hero Maker for the last five weeks and gave them legs and put that to work and gave it action? What would that actually look like, serving others is the way of Jesus. It's how hero makers keep score. Hero maker has to have that shift from counting my own successes to the successes of other people. That is the vision that Jesus had, not just for his life, not just for the first followers, but for your life and for my life too. The movement that Jesus started, that we are living today in 2020, Madison, Wisconsin, is not made up of people who are preoccupied with being the star of their own show. Instead, the followers of Jesus, you and me, dating back 2,000 years ago, and for however much longer this, this earth goes on, we are called to be hero makers, and that is how we win at life. Jesus made it very clear, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. But I've left out the most important Bible verse of this section, and it happens right after that verse, which Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't just talk the talk. He wasn't just a teacher who had some profound things to say. There have been a lot of good teachers who have had profound things to say. But Jesus walked the walk. He modeled his entire life, he modeled what being a hero maker was all about, and he gave his life for it. He modeled perfectly the way to live a selfless life, and he gave his life for it. Jesus gave us a way out. We don't have to chase the achievements of this world that we'll not get to, we won't get to take with us, that will rot away as time goes on, but he gave us a way out, a way that we can win at life, and it is by serving others and being selfless. That is how we win at life, whether it's at home, in our neighborhoods, at church, or in our workplaces. We must strive to be hero makers who are selfless and serve others. Let's pray. Lord, transform my ambition. Help me to measure what you measure and to realize that I'm called not to be a hero, but a hero maker. Amen.